The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! here yeah I'll, i'm gonna I'll, i'm gonna come on down to you and i'll be there in a jiffy mush mush okay um can i bring my dental supplies please please oh, 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 oh. stop making the mush <laughs> the people at home can't see but james was just actually physically walking around the room for that bit <laughs> yes, yes. I've come to you because I've decided to come and visit every single person here in this territory. <laughs> Is this belligerent Santa? No. Would you like it to be? <laughs> no. Thank you for coming and visiting. Um, I uh, I am practicing. I have a dental practice over here. Um, we're open uh, five days a week from uh, seven that in the morning. That sounds it's con- dumb. <laughs> Let me tell you about my job. I deliver toys and songs. I think this is belligerent. <laughs> I deliver songs. To every songs, good yes. territory mm-hmm. in good territory. all of this great nation. I would have to say I don't think we're very good. I don't care. Our record is very spotty. Your dental records? Our dental records are also very spotty, but yeah, we have we have some The spottiness is the nicotine stains all over my teeth. Oh. <laughs> from smoking my pipe. Who is now, this? <laughs> This is Santa Claus, the song deliverer of the North, the Great White North. (laughs) This is the one you were working on? (laughs) I didn't work on it a bit. (laughs) Santa Claus, thank you for coming. Now let me deliver my song (laughs) to you. Oh good, he's brought a guitar. Santa Claus's song commences now. <laughs> Super attitude. Okay, goodbye.
It's been our best bit yet, James. Yeah, that was that was song to Claus. <laughs> Sweeping the nation. And by that, I mean Canada. Are you going to start the episode? <laughs> no. This is, <laughs> this is the all song to Claus spectacular. <laughs> welcome to the Third Med Podcast. Oh, I'm your, your northern co-host, James Kaminsky. And I am your beleaguered, frostbitten, half-dead co-host, Paul Kaminsky. Welcome to our Jack White History Podcast. If you couldn't tell, that's what this is, where we go over Jack White history and music and albums and artists and interviews and all sorts of other lovely things. Indeed. And James, this week we're covering, and I I heard, I had a little snowbird tell me Mm. that we're covering one of my very favorite White Stripes projects and one that tied into our last couple of episodes with Rob Jones. Would you like to tell the people, what are we, what are we covering? What are we covering, James? Today's topic is Under Great White Northern Lights. Ooh, that now, see, that's uh, a wonderful project because not only is it a record album from a record collection, Mm -hmm. but it's also a movie and a lovely book and uh, and a fantastic package that was put together in in large part by, with the artwork courtesy of Rob Jones. And James, I love this thing. It's, uh, it's, it's 10 years old this year. I mean, the uh, the historical sort of concerts and all that is 10 years old this year, but it was put out as really the last White Stripes package that we ever got from that group. I mean, other th- aside from vault releases and the like, but while they were together, this was really the last package we got. And I have fond memories of purchasing it at the store and thinking, oh, I wonder when the next album will be coming out. And it never came. It was exciting because it was a new White Stripes re- release and it definitely inspired thoughts in me as well uh of hey this live album is great but i can't wait for the next studio album yep and it never came uh because (laughs) very shortly after this was released the white stripes would break up so it was a moment in time that was captured brilliantly in the documentary and it is a one of the great live albums that uh, Jack White has ever put out. Yeah, it's definitely that, and it's bittersweet for those reasons you've just said, but it's mostly sweet, I think, and the movie. So we're going to be covering, James, right? We're going to be covering all sides of this project, right? We're going to be covering... We're going to be covering the tour. We're going to be covering the release of the album. We're going to be covering the documentary, as well as reception, and we'll give it a review. Yeah, we got we got a lot to talk about, Paul, in this episode. And we're we're going to do all of that in one episode, James? <laughs> James, no. you're no. a madman. No, no, somebody misinformed you. No, Paul, we're going to be doing this in two spectacular episodes. Yeah, James, and I've heard also that same snowbird who died delivering this message to me. So That's let's all have because a- I killed it. <laughs> this is belligerent. Santa is Santa, is belligerent Santa. It's my summer job. Okay. <laughs> Belligerent Santa, you have a summer job as a walking, terrible, out-of-tune songster? It certainly beats pumping gas. Santa, if, um... I meant huffing gas. <laughs> Santa loves all. James, uh, before we get to all of that, though... 
Does somebody have a story to tell? Yes, James. This is every single one's got a story to tell. Paul, every single one's got a story to tell is a segment of the show that we like to talk about. And we like to talk about it here in this podcast. Now, this segment goes a little something like this. James, every single one's got a story to tell is the portion of the show where we talk to you, the listener, and you tell us some different things that you experience in the Jack White fandom or otherwise, and we relay it to the people, and we share your experiences as much as we've shared our own on this show, and it's part of the reason why we enjoy doing this program so much. And this one is sort of like two real mini every single one's got a story to tell us, James. We've got mm-hmm. two little mini ones. Do you want to go through them here? Yeah, so uh, in episode 46, Space 2, The Wrath of Conversation, Kelly Durga happened to be one of the guests on the show during that episode. We discussed the Icarus launch, and we talked to some of the scientists involved, and we also talked to Kelly, who was at the launch party in Detroit for the Icarus craft, and so she was at that show, and she was one of our different guests on that episode. Right. So she writes, I had a moment of what Jack calls wit of the staircase after recording this segment with you guys when I got off the line and realized I should have named the friends who were at the Icarus event with me, Yvette Wilkins, Colleen, Margaret, and Mike. As with every Third Man Records or Jack-related event, the friends you experience it with make it even more meaningful. And that's very true, James. And uh, Yvette Wilkins has been talking to us and chatting about the show on social media a lot lately. So we thank uh, Yvette. And we'd also like to thank Colleen, Margaret, and Mike. And hope you guys had a good time at that launch. And it sounded like a really awesome event. I wish I could have been there for it. Yes, and Yvette actually captured a little bit of Jack White's toast, which we can play a little teeny clip of. Ooh. Let's toast everybody here. That was very cool, James. Thanks, Yvette. Thank you, Yvette. Our next mini Every Single One's Got a Story to Tell uh, comes from, it was just a very nice shout out we got from Johnny Misner or at Johnny Misner on Twitter who said, shout out to Third Men Cast. Last episode was my favorite so far. I've learned the best podcasts are from music fans and we just thought that was such a sweet uh, note that we would want to read it in this segment and so we wanted to thank Johnny very much. I think that was in regard to our episode 45 covering the White Stripes volume one, James. Thank you, Johnny. We greatly appreciate it and uh, I hope that we continue to make podcasts that you love. And in the meantime James, that was every single one telling their story. James, I'm so excited to get into this topic. I love Under Great White Northern Lights. I do, too. And you know who else does? The entire nation of Canada. (laughs) Because this, this tour was a triumph for all of Canada. As a citizen of the United States, I'm going to speak for every Canadian. 
and say that mm-hmm. everybody loves the white stripes in Canada. Yeah, well, um, I would say that would be a very broad-minded view of yours, James, and I'm happy that you've spoken for all the Canadian people. And I'm sure they love that I'm speaking for them. Anyway, under Great White Northern Lights wouldn't be much without the tour, mm. because the tour was basically the the focus of the documentary, aside from, you know, documenting the White Stripes in their ether. It was documenting this specific tour in 2007 to promote Icky Thump. So this is going to be a little bit of a jack-on tour because it's kind of hard to separate the two. Well, Um, yeah, I think Under Great White Northern Lights and the Icky Thump tour are really only separated by the different legs of the tour, much like the Lazaretto tour can be separated by the majority of the tour, and then there's that separate acoustic tour that's also technically i guess part of the lazaretto tour but it's sort of its own thing yes and i'll just say that it doesn't actually stop in canada this tour goes Hmm. a lot of different places and canada is just one small part of the icky thump tour so it's a little bit of a jack on tour and a lot of bit of a lot of bit of cheese. Cheese. Yeah. You like more cheese? I like more cheese too. So when Icky Thump is is announced and the White Stripes are announcing their new tour, they start giving tour dates. And in April of 2007, the White Stripes announced that they would take their Icky Thump tour to Canada and not just one city, Paul, not just Toronto like most people are used to, but instead every single province in the Great White North. Yeah, which we talked about a little bit in our last episode, episode 48, Rob Jones, The Extended Interview, Part 2, where he talked about why the White Stripes would make a point out of visiting every single province in Canada, and uh, he incorporated a lot of that into the accompanying artwork that he subsequently won a Grammy for, James. Indeed, and uh, indeed every single one of these venues that Jack will visit has its own uh, tour poster designed by Rob Jones, aside from merchandise and, and all that other stuff, which he also helped design. So they would begin their tour in British Columbia, and they would end their tour in Newfoundland, and it would stop in, in all of the provinces. Jack White is quoted as saying, Having never done a full tour of Canada, Meg and I thought it was high time to go whole hog. <laughs> He said, we want to take this tour to the far reaches of the Canadian landscape, from the ocean to the permafrost. The best way for us to do that is to ensure that we perform in every province and territory in the country, from the Yukon to Prince Edward Island. Via the CBC, Jack White said part of the appeal in playing North of 60, a region that he and Meg have described as absolutely beautiful and breathtaking, respectively, is the challenge of coming north to begin with. It's obviously not easy for people to come up here. If it was, more acts would come up, he said. It's a shame. And you kind of start with, what's the biggest struggle? Start with that. And if you can conquer that, then it's easy to play Toronto, you know? Toronto is one of the few places in Canada that a lot of bigger name artists will visit because it's close to the United States. It's easily accessible. Mm -hmm. And Canada is very expensive to ship all your stuff to and especially the northernmost provinces and all of those other places that are a little more remote that still have larger populations it's ridiculously expensive to get your gear there so it's a it's another one of those jack white struggles and little boxes he puts himself in you know he's he's so known for he's setting himself a challenge Uh, i would also point out that like you know like you just said literally the only place in canada I ever visited on my own was Toronto. I we had visited Nova Scotia only because there was we had family there, but independently, yeah, Toronto was it. And Toronto's a lovely city, don't get me wrong. You know, it was we had a great time. I 
think of it uh, as a clean Philadelphia. <laughs> but we were greeted lovely. We had a great time. I was up there for a comic book convention. But I've never been to the other ones. Even big cities like Montreal, I just never wound up going to. But yeah. I would like to. And it was inspiring to see the White Stripes do that, make that effort. Yeah. And the only other place I can think of is like Vancouver gets, you know, some bigger name artists. Vancouver's very close to Seattle. Again, similar to Toronto. They're both relatively right. easy and inexpensive to get a band to. Via the Globe and Mail, Jack White was interviewed. He said, I told them when I handed in the album and we started talking about touring, I said, before anybody starts getting any ideas, this time we're doing a solo tour of Canada and I will not take no for an answer. <laughs> I put my foot down before anyone even mentioned any shows we were going to play. Yeah, no one was going to say that, Jack. No one was saying <laughs> that. Now, before you say uh, it, Swank, before you say it, I will be touring Canada. I, I know we're having macaroni for dinner. I know that's what you wanted to talk about, but I'm just saying, don't stop me from going to Canada, Swank. I love your macaroni. Uh, Jack continues, I told our tour manager and our manager, I want to play in every province and territory in Canada, and I want you guys to call up people and make sure that if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. I don't want to come home and say, well, we technically didn't play every province because we didn't play Prince Edward Island or something like that. You know what I mean? I feel like Jack White would be a very easy man to troll because <laughs> he takes things very personally. And if you were to point out, well, technically, you know, you only play, he would get very upset at that. I find that both charming and also sort of a curiosity. Uh, and, and by the way, pointing out uh, just for those of you who don't know in the grand scheme of the White Stripes career, this is, Iggy Thump is their last studio album they're sort of at the tail end of what their career as a band would sort of become the thing we're talking about under great white northern lights is really the last album by this group and that's a live album of this tour and you know they're not young kids anymore by this time they had been in the band a decade and they're both in their 30s, and they're not sort of the happy-go-lucky youths that they were on the MTV Video Music Awards back in 2002 or whatever. This is a different White Stripes. This is a White Stripes with a, with Jack White, who has been in the tours. He's been on a rock tour that wasn't this sort of gimmicky White Stripes thing. It wasn't a storybook with the Reckon mm. Tours. It was just a rock tour, you know? So they've taken a lot of that stuff with them as they moved on. And this is also a Meg who's tasted life without fame for a moment during the hiatus that Jack took for the Broken Boy Soldiers tour. So a lot of things are happening for this group at this point in time. Yeah, it's definitely a, a different type of White Stripes than some people were used to after seeing their previous tours. This tour definitely took things up to a different level and, you know, it was the most complex the White Stripes had ever become. Musically in the studio, yeah. And yet, this tour of Canada, they do a lot of shows that bring them back to their roots of playing smaller venues and smaller places and bring them back to what they were doing sort of on their first couple tours with the self-titled album and with the style. And it's an it's an interesting mixed bag. The There's, there's stadiums that they're packing with with light shows and stuff and mm -hmm. there's also tiny little you know he's playing buses on this tour like it's very weird right. stuff in the mix he's also known for for doing novelties and or gimmicks and some people were seeing this canadian tour as something of that sort and he comments on that saying there's a selfish pleasure that me and meg will get from seeing these places we've always wanted to see while we're at work there's that side of it but as far as the novelty side, I look more at it as a challenge. Why do bands not go to out-of-the-way places? Because it's hard. 
when you don't take the easy way out, something interesting happens. Maybe we'll have the best show of our lives in Nunavut. Maybe it'll be a disaster. Who knows? <laughs> I want I want to push to see how far we can go with it. Okay, we've never done a tour of Canada. Well, let's not take the easy way out and just play all the major cities. You play Winnipeg, Manitoba. What about the guys who live 200 miles north or whatever? I always think that if I lived in north in the Northwest Territories or the Yukon, it would be nice if bands came there once in a while. Which I agree mm. with, you know. Yeah, I know we get upset, like, even though, James, you and I are close to the biggest metropolitan human populations on the North American continent, uh, we still get kind of bummed when one of our favorite artists doesn't visit this particular area of the world, so I can see how somebody in, you know, Bumble Canada would be, you know, sort of bummed if they didn't get to see their particular artist, and this was this would be the most commercially successful album that the White Stripes ever put out, but still, the White Stripes are not as big as, like, a you know, a Beyonce or an Adele or something like that, who are more likely to visit other places and have the the liquid funds to actually visit these types of places. Yeah, and they saw it more as a, like I said, a challenge, and, and they were also doing it to keep interest, you know? They were, they want something interesting to do. Different experiences, different things to call his own. Mm-hmm. It must uh, have been a weird headspace for him to get back into after being with the racks, you know? Yeah, and... I mean, we'll get into it probably in the next episode, but while this documentary and everything is being released, he's with the dead weather in a lot of these interviews. Good. Yeah, because this was put out in this was put out in 2010. Yeah. There's a lot swirling in his universe, and he's still technically in the White Stripes at that point, but he's with the dead weather, and and you could see there's like a a waning away from from that band, and it, and shortly, you know, even in 2010, he he's quoted as saying, you know, it would be weird to play in the white stripes again after being with all of these other bands and uh, having these all, all of these other experiences which is weird too because like not uh, two years later he would be saying how much you missed the white stripes and <laughs> i think the quote from the blunderbuss era was if i could put out nothing but white stripes albums if i could play in that band for the rest of my career i would if i could turn back time <laughs> yeah, if he could only play with share if i could find my mate <laughs> And I take back all those things I did say that it hurt me, and I might, I might be with you again. That's my Meg. Anyway, this tour would have him and his his crew traversing Canada via buses and prop planes and boats and all sorts of vehicles. And the movie itself starts with the famous one note show in Newfoundland, but the tour starts elsewhere. So I'm going to actually start where the tour starts, Paul. Ooh. And we'll get into the one note show later. So let's get into this tour, Paul. On June 24th, 2007, two weeks after the album Icky Thump drops and pretty much a couple weeks after the L.A. show that we detail in the Icky Thump episode where he plays uh, an Icky Thump Records storefront. By the way, real quick, while you mentioned that, I went to the defunct Tower Records out here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. that was transformed into Icky Thump Records. For the record, pun, that storefront still says Tower Records out there. And I thought... Oh, maybe this is like a kitschy sort of standalone Tower Records that still exists in 2017. It does not. 
and I was chased out of that parking lot by a parking attendant who was using it to park cars. And he says, yo, bro, what are you doing here, bro? And I got out of there pretty quickly, James, because I felt threatened. My body felt threatened. Uh, and that would be in Beverly Hills, California, not a place one's body usually feels threatened. But I looked at it and I thought, oh, that's where the Icky Thump records took place. Fun, Funny story. It's right around the corner from Ringo Starr's current residence. And the same guy chased you out of Ringo Starr's house going, yo, bro. <laughs> yo, bro. Yo, I play with the Beatles, bro. Ring bro. He's bouncer ring, ring bro. bro. Star. Ring bro scar. We have fun well, here on this podcast. Anywho, uh, so a couple weeks after all of that Icky Thump Records business, June 24th, Jack and Meg begin their tour of Canada at Deer Lake Park in Burnaby, British Columbia. Before the concert, the Stripes go to the Creekside Youth Center in a mobile classroom. And they play a free show. And you can see a little of that show in the movie, actually. They play a brief set, and it's free. And via Pitchfork, the White Stripes kept it extra real, rocking a tiny classroom before a couple dozen ecstatic teenagers in Burnaby. I'm sure the the teens would have been loving it, Paul. The teens love... Oh, yeah. Love them some Jack White. Teens love Jack White. If I know anything about teens. They love esoteric technology and blues music and antagonistic gimmicks. How many of you teens have something better to do? (laughs) You know, the great actor Johnny Depp once said, Aren't you him? Pimply-faced teen for The Simpsons, you're back on the podcast. Yeah. Anyway. So the actual show was was played at uh, Deer Lake Park, and Alabama rockabilly musician Dan Sartain opened for them. Jack had heard uh, Hmm. Dean play and enjoyed his new record in Nashville and asked him to come with him. Interestingly, during the show, Jack played a a cover that I had never heard before that Dylan had also apparently covered, uh, a song by Bucka White, a famous blues musician called Fixin' to Die. Uh, and we can play a little bit. I have a little bit of the 2000 of Jack playing it in 2005, and we can play a little bit of that, and you'll get the idea. Die. 
Interesting. I was wondering why I'd heard the name Dan Sartain before, and <laughs> uh, so Dan Sartain also released a Blue Room single uh, entitled Bohemian Grove on Jack's Third Man Records, and I uh, I have that single, and it's I think we played that, James, on the Going Solo episodes, uh, which was a two-parter we did. I don't know when ago, but it's very interesting. I, I, Bohemian Grove is actually a really, really cool song that you should all go out and pick up. It's on the Blue Series. Um, I found it myself, James, in a bargain bin at uh, Amoeba Music here in Los Angeles. Yes, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Bucka White, Paul, but he, he's definitely a, a Delta bluesman. His full name is Booker T. Washington. He was born in 1909, but very interesting guy. Uh, often when uh, when Jack White's last Reto album came out, uh, the song Highball Stepper, his guitar work on that was was said to be reminiscent of Bucka White uh, on websites like Consequence of Sound, which uh, in their reviews of the song. So Jack has channeled Bucka White for, uh, for quite a while. So uh, I found a, a fun review um, by a fan of this show in the Deer Lake Park show on a Coachella forum. Uh, so this is all via Coachella Forum member Rage Patton. Rage Patton. So thank you, Rage. Uh, paraphrasing you, they write, After a roughly 35-minute set of Dan Sartain, it was 7.15 and the crowd started getting antsy waiting for the White Stripes. While waiting, the music that was put on was some 40s, 50s jazz and blues with a couple Zeppelin tunes thrown in. At around 7.30, the curtain dropped and everyone started cheering like mad when they saw the stage. No white stripes to be found. It was a cool stage, however. At around 7.45, <laughs> the crowd be- was becoming impatient. Every time a song from the sound system ended, people would cheer like mad, thinking the band was about to come on. It didn't happen. Eventually, the board engineers were turning songs off in the middle of it just to hear the crowd yell in excitement, only to hear them boo when they turned the song back on. <laughs> then suddenly, without warning, at 8.01, Jack White appeared on the stage in the middle of a song. Meg then appeared. They jammed for a couple minutes, then opened up with Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground. Wow. You know, I'm going to be quoting a, a, a bunch of fans probably in this episode because uh, the documentary is very fan-centric. And so you, you do get a good feeling of, uh, of what it's like to go to see Jack White on tour. Mm-hmm. So then the, the very next day, June 25th, Jack White continues on his tour. He goes to the next venue, the Yukon Arts Center in Whitehorse, Yukon. Yukon uh, is rarely visited by bigger named artists they they performed uh two shows at whitehorse actually they they performed a sold-out show at the yukon arts center which only had 400 seats available even though there were venues that were bigger and we'll get into that in a minute as well as an impromptu performance at a downtown park earlier that day for about 500 fans when Jack got into town uh, after he had uh, rested up from his flight, he was spotted getting coffee and milling about town. And, you know, lots of fans were, were noticing him on the street. It's easy because he's, he's very pale. He's a very pale man. Um, <laughs> the Yeah, nothing but tans out there in Yukon, Canada. So he went to get coffee and uh, actually a, a newspaper caught up to the barista who served him his coffee and spoke to her and got her opinion on Jack and being there in the Yukon. And she was saying that she didn't think it was fair that he was playing such a small venue because acts like him don't show up too often. So there's going to be a lot of people disappointed and missing out. And that seemed to be a weird thing that was happening around town. People rarely see big bands uh, out there that 
you know, Jack choosing to play a very small, intimate venue actually was seen by a lot of people as, like, a little... Insulting? Yeah, like... Or inconsiderate. Yeah, you're not going to let us see you because you chose a smaller place, even though there were bigger places available. And Jack actually comments a little bit on this, you know, before the tour even took place, he commented a little bit on it. He said, uh, a booking agent's job is to see how big a place you can play. (laughs) If a band can play a 20,000 seat place... It's kind of ridiculous in a business sense to put them in a 3,000-seat theater. But we have always not seen eye-to-eye with booking agents on tours because we're not looking at it from that standpoint. I love that he's simultaneously throwing the booking agent under the bus and also saying the booking agent is driving the bus. Well, he was saying basically like the booking agents want him to take these bigger places because they know they'll sell it. But he doesn't want to do that, Paul. He wants the more he wants a different feel. Uh, he says there's nothing worse than a band who has a corporate sponsorship who comes to town and plays the same set every night wherever they go. But he's saying like I mean, we know Jack's stance on that stuff and that's all well and good. We're not saying that's invalid, but what we're saying is that it we you know, there is also something valid about people who want to see him yeah. maybe not getting the opportunity to do so he says we want to do a tour where we go places we've never been before we play a different set every night we don't have to we don't have a set list in this band and we play venues that people don't normally play and see what happens that's a lot more interesting to me he's doing it to keep interest up i get it Mm -hmm. but i also see the other side like if i was there I would have been like, yeah, and I was number 401. Especially considering that this was the last time anyone would be able to see the White Stripes. Yeah, well, pretty much, yeah, especially in the Yukon. You know, people waited 20 hours, 24 hours in line for this band, and for them to not get tickets would seem upsetting. Yeah, it's a little upsetting. Apparently, tickets sold out so fast that it was, like, surprising to them of their White Horse (laughs) show, he says. Uh, Apparently, tickets sold out in... Now, there are differing reports on this, but tickets sold out Mm -hmm. between 9 and 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that would suck if I was at work and trying real hard to get a ticket and... He was coming to the damn Yukon, and I couldn't see him, and I was like, it's fine. Um, If Mr. Pastry was in charge, he wouldn't have let this fly. That's true. Via the Yukon news, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of because the White White Stripes are the biggest thing that's ever come up here, said Mackenzie Pemberton, who walked away empty-handed after a 14-hour wait. There are 20,000... People, 20,000 people at Whitehorse that probably want to see them, but only uh, 400 people get to. That uh, makes me very sad. I'm, Ashton, I, I'm trying to say this without feeling like being negative about it, but I do feel for those people because I'm like putting myself in their shoes and I would be pissed. I know. Ashton Mason, who was disappointed after spending 20 hours in line for White Stripes tickets, <sighs> said, quote, I'm crying inside. I just got broken. Can I make a prediction, James? Yeah. I would like to Nostradamus you very quickly. Sure, sure, sure. The end of the Lazaretto tour, Jack White said, only concert halls and small showrooms <laughs> for the rest of my days. I have a funny feeling that even in our said metropolitan areas, we are going to be experiencing similar difficulties when and if Jack chooses to go on tour again, when and if it actually coincides with this third studio album that he's recording. How easy is it to create a robot to be able to buy us as many tickets as we can grasp? What I'm saying is, if anybody out there has any computer's experience and wants to are you a podcast listener who also has a secret desire to be a criminal <laughs> if so we're radio pirates five, on the five, internet. five 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 
so tickets went on sale at 9 a.m. And by 9.10 or 9.20, <laughs> they were gone. A few orders were taken at the Art Center's single phone line. So they had one phone line and they took a couple, as many as they could take, Mm -hmm. I guess, in 12 minutes or however long it took. 12 minutes later, a voice came on the loudspeaker declaring the concert had sold out. The crowd responded with boos, yells, and some profanity. (laughs) Then this, again, is via Yukon News. While many were disappointed, the early birds like Stephen Wateroos went home with eight tickets because you could buy eight tickets at a time if you wanted to. Wateroos uh. queued up at the Art Center at 12.30 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. Uh. He got eight tickets, Paul. He was first in line of more than 100 by 8.45 a.m. Friday morning. He lives outside of the Ticketmaster. <laughs> he is the Ticketmaster. <laughs> He was quoted as yelling, Visa, don't fail me now, as the box office processed his order. <laughs> That's so awesome. UConn Arts Center Executive Director Chris Dre said, 420 very lucky people are going to get to see it. It's unfortunate, he added. But on the other hand, in the theater world, it's sometimes good to leave these audiences hungry. Dre wasn't surprised at the record sales. He says, we've sold out shows in one day before, but never in 12 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. How uh, little of a room can you get me into in here? I want to be in a very, very little room. I want a room of one. Meg, you're out. <laughs> Meg, by virtue of our gimmick, you have to be in, participate in the music in some way for it to be the White Stripes. Will you please bang on the door? I was gonna... <laughs> Thank you, Meg. But, Paul, those those 400 or so odd people would not be the only ones in White Horse to be able to see the White Stripes, because luckily... Jack White did an impromptu set before the concert in LePage Park in Whitehorse. Like I had said before, he was so surprised by how quickly the tickets went. He's quoted as saying, uh, this is the only thing we thought of to try and uh, help alleviate that. To play Jack Defender for a moment, I, I know it seems like we've been taking a big old dump on his plan here, but just to, just to play uh, Jack Advocate for a moment, he often says, talking about touring, that it's very, very expensive. He do- he tends not to make his money back. People think that that's where musicians make all their money these days, but it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And part of me thinks that his surprise in not wanting to go all out on these big, elaborate stadiums and things in these areas, or whatever it might be, might be part of that thinking. Maybe it's part of him saying, do they really know me up there? Like, am I really gonna... You know, it could be partially a financial decision, too. We really don't know. Without his perspective on it, we could couldn't tell you what the thinking was that went in it. And the fact that he did play this extra show up there kind of says to me, yeah, he was legitimately taken by surprise. <laughs> and it wasn't all a sort of esoteric, you know, scientific experiment that he was conducting up there, <laughs> that it was probably like a mixture of gut instinct and uh, and perspective, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. He's doing this, you know, obviously partly because it's his job to do it and he wants to get paid for it. But also, he also wants to give the fans a good time and a good show. And he's very aware of the fact that people weren't able to make it. So he's doing something to help them, which I I think is uh, generous. Of the park set, uh, Yukon News reporter Genesee Keevil wrote, Pushing 120 decibels, the stripes weren't catering to curious middle-aged couples hoping for a pleasant evening on the town. (laughs) 
<laughs> I live off of those moments. I live off of that, the uh, energy that comes out of playing in front of people who would have no interest in normally seeing anything I do or any, anything I write or perform. So uh, the, the free shows we were doing in the daytime made that happen. Uh, put us in strange locations uh, with people that we would never have no business being in front of playing this music. Via the Edmonton Journal, uh, rumors of the gig started rumbling through Whitehorse late Monday afternoon. Fans began showing up at the small downtown park, and then around 4.50 p.m., CBC Radio leaked the news that they were playing. A Whitehorse resident named Bernie was quoted as saying, I jumped in my truck and woot! Uh, and this man is in his 40s according to the article they made sure that they knew that Um, by the time Jack uh, and Meg had arrived the park was crammed with about 400 uh, to 500 fans including a few who were forced to climb trees to get a better view the duo played six songs including Hotel Yorba and We're Gonna Be Friends on a small circular stage and he stood uh, while she sat on the bricks surrounded by tambourine maracas and tiny hand drums I hope it sounds okay. We didn't really have the right equipment to bring with us. We just thought of this up a couple hours ago. And, uh... You've been so nice to us. Uh, we, uh, we wanted to make sure, you know, a lot of people, we heard that a lot of people couldn't get tickets to the show, so we thought we'd play a little bit out here in the open. If you want to invent a contraption What was to cause a train wreck Then to put me in traction Sylvia McKenzie, who, is six, who was 16 at the time, had heard about the surprise show from a friend. She said, I could barely see anything, so I had to climb onto a roof. She s- <laughs> smiled, pointing to one of the historic <laughs> buildings around the park. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. That, that gives a little wonder. That's some of that uh, Don Quixote-like wonder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> afterwards, a few hours afterwards, he played the show at the uh, Yukon Arts Center. And the very next day, he moves right along, June 26th, to the Shorty Brown Multiplex Arena in Yellowknife, <laughs> Northwest Territories. So he, uh, he just moves right along, right from a small venue into an arena. This arena had 2,200 tickets available compared to the 400 or so at the last venue. So they definitely upped the ante with this one. Wow. Um, the stripes were driven from the airport by the mayor, Mayor Van Tiggum, in his 50s era classic car, which you can see <laughs> a great deal of in the documentary. In fact, Jack is talking to the mayor. Yeah who's pretty matter of fact. He asked if there's bowling up there and the mayor says, yeah. And he says there's five pin bowling and Jack gets really excited. And he goes on about how they have been bowling around the world. That's awesome. Instead of 12 minutes, the tickets here sold out in about two hours, but still sold out pretty quick. And owner of the uh, Yellowknife tickets and the Birchwood, uh, Tony Waiter, said, if we had another 3,000 tickets, we could have sold that. We've never really had anything of this magnitude before. Everyone knows who the White Stripes are. It's good to see an act of this stature coming. It's like the Governor Hmm. General showing up. The Governor General. I know. I I don't know what that means. I'm not Canadian, but... (laughs) Uh, it goes to show like how important this was to a lot of places up north. People this big don't come up there that often. Right. Ben Suley, head of maintenance for the multiplex, said the only comparable phenomenon of recent years would be 
George Jones's concert there in 2006. He's pretty big up here. He sold out pretty quick. George Jones rings a bell for me because he's one of the people that was associating with Charlie Rich, uh, also a country singer, who when uh, John Denver won the Grammy that year, George Jones w- was was a country singer who had sympathized with Charlie Rich as he used the Zippo lighter to burn the card. And uh, we talked about that last episode when Rob Jones brought it up uh, on our episode 48 episode of the uh, podcast, uh, Rob Jones interview part two. Anyway, continue. <laughs> okay. A ye- another yellow knifer who requested anonymity called the White Stripes gig, the first real rock show we've had. And before the, the show, again, the White Stripes performed another impromptu concert, which seems to be a, a running theme for all of these venues. He played an impromptu afternoon gig for a mother and her child at the Wildcat Cafe in Yellowknife, Canada. The Wildcat mm-hmm. Cafe is pretty much just a small cabin. You know, it's a small little cafe, but it's like a tiny little cabin. The mother and her baby were, were there, and Jack was play- Jack and Meg were playing. According to Autumn DeWild, a uh, photographer for the White Stripes during this time, the baby loved hearing them play. All kids love the White Stripes. They love the White Stripes and the Beatles. It's something about Meg's. <laughs> it's something about Meg's heartbeat rhythms and Jack's electric personality. Kids always get in. Is that it? it? Hmm? Is that it? Has it been? Has it been the drumming this whole time? Has it been Ringo and Meg this entire time? <laughs> it has been, Paul. Uh, yeah. So they they visited that cafe, the Wildcat Cafe, and they. We had the Garden General here once. I think it's a it's a landmark. You come to Yellowknife. I think the Wildcat is a place that must be seen in summer months. It's uh, it's, it's rugged. It's uh, it's all crooked. And it's it's like a magnet. The north is like a magnet. Yeah, I love it here. Uh, and then the day after this, uh, they quickly jaunt over to on June 27th to the Iqaluit Nunavut uh, to the Arctic Winter Games Arena. Iqaluit and Nunavut, for those of you who don't know, uh, their their population at the point in 2007 when the White Stripes go there is about 6,000. So mm. you could fill a stadium with about <laughs> 8 or 9 or 10 Iqaluits. <laughs> Not many people there. <laughs> they like to be known as the Kalawishikans. Yeah, yeah. The White Stripes uh, concluded their three-stop journey across the, the northern area of Canada in Iqaluit, and they stopped there and they jammed with Inuit elders. Ah, I remember that from the film. Yeah, right before the, the concert. You can see a lot of it in the documentary. They ate raw caribou and played a show for the Inuit elders, which I don't know if they've completely understood but Jack and mm-hmm. Meg definitely enjoyed themselves, and I believe uh, so did the elders as well. Music. They look like they're having a great time in the documentary. I mean, some of them look like they're just sort of sitting there experiencing it, but I think had Jack not and Meg not gone there being so respectful, they might have actively disliked it, but it seems as though they ranged from tolerating it to mildly enjoying it. I wanted to learn a little bit about, Eric had mentioned a minute ago, about... Um, my, you all right? Yeah. Good. If the um, strokes went over there, they would have walked over and, you know, I don't know, put their genitalia on the caribou or something. Yeah. Uh, Jack had said older people ha- have so much knowledge, and especially the elders of the Inuit people. The stories that we were lucky enough to hear were wonderful. We were very fortunate that we got a chance to sit and talk with them. I'm glad they let us into their home like that. Hmm. And then they feasted on raw caribou and uh, what was very likely little sheep. 
you're making me like a little hungry for raw caribou <laughs> and i'm i'm imagining it be and this may just be because i'm cooking dinner but i'm imagining it being kind of like sushi mm-hmm. but the kind of sushi that could give you e coli poisoning and kill you it's nothing like a good fine old carl butterball turkey carl you're up north <laughs> it's very cold <laughs> This is where I have my mass turkey freezing facility. <laughs> I freeze all my Carl Butterball turkeys up here. It's much cheaper uh, than flash freezing them. While they scream, we've talked about this in previous episodes. James, uh, Carl, I'm sorry. Carl, is it true that your brother, Dudley Butterball, also yes, lives, yes. lives up in Canada? Yes, Dudley Butterball is... He's a moose farmer. Unfortunately, I... He's taken to the wrong side of the family, taken to the moose side, whereas I, the butterball turkey side. Now, Dudley is Dudley Butterball, the moose farmer. He's a fan of moose antler. He thinks, yes, he thinks that antler is the finest <laughs> form of food you can possibly feast upon. He's got incredible intestines. Turkey beak is, <laughs> just surpasses it in every Anywho, I'm going to go back to flash freezing these birds in Nunavut. I can hear them screaming. Quiet now, quiet, quiet your waffles. Good life for waffles. Goodbye. This has been fun, Carl. Thank you. Anywho, the band also had a taste of Inuit culture thanks to the 22 hours of daylight that are there in the Arctic summer. Jack was quoted as saying, it's hard to tell when the, when it's night around here. <laughs> he was basically having himself a, a good old-fashioned case of Insomnia, the movie, starring mm. Alfonso Pacino. Yeah, and, Ro- and, Robins- and Robinson Williams. On Thursday morning, the duo went out with a documentary film crew near the old Hudson Bay buildings, and they were shooting footage. And it's funny, in newspapers, they they didn't know what this footage was, so you can tell that the documentary is planned, but they don't know what it's going to be used for. Uh, They said that the footage may appear in a music video or on a DVD about the Canadian tour, so there's speculation. Hmm, And it's funny because it's featured in both a music video and a DVD (laughs) about the Canadian tour. But before they could even land on the ground in Iqaluit, There were a myriad of local laws and liability demands that had to be kind of figured out before they could get the concert approved because Iqaluit is such a small uh, place and the venue they were playing was uh, actually a hockey rink uh, transformed into a concert arena for the White Stripes. And they got Iqaluit's economic development officer, Mike Bozer, to help facilitate the arrival. Jack had said, we wanted to let more people in, but the fire marshal said, nuh uh, he told the audience before the show, <laughs> who then booed municipal officers as rock crowds are wont to do. And Jack continues, man, I don't want anybody to catch fire. <laughs> Mike Bozer was in talks with the publicist for the show. He said the band will bring its own sound technicians and equipment, but the city is connecting it with local options for security, ticket printing, and other logistics. About 500 tickets were expected to go on sale, and Bozer said they were hoping to keep prices below the $40. That's very reasonable. Is it $40 or uh, 40 loonies? Well, it does say dollars, but I'm going to assume that you can count them in loonies and toonies. 20 toonies. Nichols had pictures of bumblebees on them. 
Give me five piece for a quarter, you'd say. Bozer had added that he's received interest from promoters outside Nunavut in inviting Southern fans to the uh, Iqaluit concert. The Gillette Entertainment Group has contacted me wanting 50 of the tickets for themselves to sell online to people in Montreal and Ottawa. So definitely those 50 people would stay here for probably a few days. Stay in the hotels. Eat at our restaurants. Shop at our stores, he said. It's definitely going to have some economic impact, and they'll be back home with positive stories about the city, which is kind of adorable in its own way. Mayor Alan Hayward quipped, if we only had more hotel rooms in town, it could be the new Las Vegas North. Aww. Now listen here, Mr. Alan Hayward there in a city so seedy. I would (laughs) like to visit you. And create economic prosperity. Well, they kind of did. About 600 tickets were were eventually sold for that concert on Wednesday. Daniel Glick of the Montreal Concert Promoter, who was overseeing the gig on behalf of Gillette Entertainment Group, uh, said, uh, I think we took for granted everything we do at home. We didn't realize the intricacies involved, which included flying an entire road crew from Vancouver over the weekend to begin assembling the stage and erecting the PA system in the venue, which was a former hockey rink, like I had said, that had fallen into disuse since the southern end of its floor sank a meter or so into the ground a few years ago. So, in about 2005. It would be great to see Jack just on a boat in this hockey rink. Zamboni <laughs> sailing by. Yeah. Local singer Lucy Idlaut kicked the night off. She was the opening act, and she did a like a th- about a thirty minute set. got on stage and did a non-stop one and a half hour set which is very long it's a long set and obviously no set list like like normal typical spontaneity laden show happy to see Jack waving the Nunavut flag at the end of his performance as he was doing in, in many of the, the territories he was visiting. He was flying the, the flag of that particular province at the end of the show. Iqaluit fan Valimar Goggin said, I don't have much of a voice left. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I think they gave the same show they would have given to any other town, which is really respectable, seeing as how few people we had in there. Aw, that's very sweet. So people were very appreciative of this concert. James, would Uh, you say we're going to leave it right there for now and uh, rejoin this uh, next week? Would you say that, James? I think that's what we're going to do, Paul. So next week we'll, we'll start right back up. Uh, on the next show Jack will go to on June 29th at Pengrove Saddle Dome in Calgary, Alberta. Oh, lots going on there. I can't wait. This has been a great start to the tour. All righty, Paul. 
James, this week we have something very special, something we've never done on the show before. We've had third men, we've had third women, we've had third family. We've had third eye blind, we've had three doors down. (laughs) We did a... We've had 311. (laughs) We came original. What do we got, Paul? What do we got? Tell me. I want to know. Well, James, uh, listeners to this fine fine podcast it's uh, fine may <laughs> so this is like fine podcast it's fine that's it's what fine. you're into <laughs> listeners to this fine eh, fine podcast uh, may remember episode 45 of the show covering the white stripes where we talk to musician and concert promoter Mackenzie Mackinich of Seattle Washington who was putting together a performance by a White Stripes tribute band, The Dead Leaves, James. Do you remember this? I do remember this, Paul. I remember that episode. Uh, And I remember Mackenzie, and it was a fantastic time chatting with him and uh, hearing about his band, and I hear that uh, it it went well. It went super well. Yeah, so they were performing uh, with the uh, Seattle School of Rock house band and special guests Monday, August 14th at the Sea Monster Lounge in Seattle, Washington, and James, uh, they had a spectacular show full of lots of special guests that were really, really cool. Yeah, I wish we could have been there. I wish we were closer by uh, to have seen it firsthand, but uh, we were lucky enough to hear a couple songs via video. Yes, and so some uh, awesome fans who were at the show recorded them, and uh, so we're able to play them on the show. Thank you to Zana La Fuente, who did the majority of these recordings, if not all of them, I believe all of them. Uh, that's really awesome. Uh, Zana, really appreciate it, and uh, you know, Mackenzie uh, wanted to pass along his hellos, and thanks to everybody out there who was listening to this for, su- for supporting the Dead Leaves, and yeah, we're going to have the privilege of playing some of these tunes for you all out there on our first third band segment. Ooh. I like the name, Paul. Catchy title. Yeah, it's very, very catchy. Uh, so all proceeds from the show went to local Seattle radio station KBFG. Uh, if you'd like to check them out, it's kbfgseattle.com. And that was to support their increasing presence in the North Seattle community. So uh, that, that that was a really cool uh, thing that they did for that. And, uh, you know, it's looking at the video, it's a really awesome show. And we hope uh, more of these White Stripes tribute shows pop up uh, around the country and in all of our various necks of the woods, James, wouldn't you say? I would definitely say. So uh, the 30th anniversary, I, I hope, or the 25th anniversary, I should say, of the White Stripes inception uh i would uh well this year is the 20th i'm hoping that the 25th or the 30th you guys can come to either la or new york and uh and play a show close by to us yeah uh maybe yeah maybe give us a piece of the action eh? yeah what's your problem why won't you why didn't you focus on me is what yeah what what are you hiding i want to see your band certificate So uh, we hope you all enjoy this without further plathering ado from us. Uh, here's the dead leaves, and well, let's let's take it. Let's have them take it away, eh, James? Uh, uh, here, here, Paul. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, let's play the music. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
great start to this <laughs> yes james and i had learned a lot and very much looking forward to part two next week don't forget you can catch us every wednesday here on spreaker or our, our third men wordpress page you can check either of those locations we're also available on itunes or many other podcasting locations most podcatchers will catch us but uh, until then james we got some thank yous to give that we do paul we'd like to give some shout outs we got some new listeners to the show thank you to Elvis Bruno. Thank you, Elvis. We've got Zildasaurus. Thank you, Zilda. We've got Rosie Quimby. Thank you, Rosie. We've got Dina <laughs> McGuire. Thanks, Dina. We've got Erwin Pinto Basse. Thank you, Erwin. We've got <laughs> Rusty Keller or at Rusty K on Twitter. Thank you, Rusty. We've got Christy Collins or at Christy Colleen E on Twitter. Thank you. We've got Rick Patrick or at 70s Space Punk. Thank you, Rick. We've also got my favorite, my roommate Jack White, or at my roommate Jack. Thank you. Pretty good one. That's a pretty good one there. Please do the dishes. <laughs> do the dishwasher, Jack. It's not going to do itself. And uh, look, we have those new listeners to the show. We want to thank them very much. We also have return listeners who are with us week in and week out. We have people like Yvette Wilkins. Thank you, Yvette. Your commentary on uh, Facebook has been lovely. We love hearing from you, so thank you very much for that. We've got S.A. Franco. Uh, we don't know what your name means, but we know what your listenership means to us. We've got David Poe. We've got Eric Andrew Dotson over here. We've got LOL 2.0, many laughs to be had. We've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. We have the Red Red Rain Prosper. We have Adrian King, the punk rock queen. We've got our third person in spirit every week, Kelly Durga. We've got Eileen Corsano, whom we see. We've got Andre Ice Cold Lyman. We've got My Oh Me, it's Me Oh My. We've got Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. And last but 
but not least, James, Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. That's right. And if you'd like to be any of those fine listeners, you could find us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thirdmen. You could tweet at us on Twitter at thirdmencast. You could find us on Tumblr and tumble down with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. Find us also on our WordPress page where we partially host our show and write our show notes, which is thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could also email us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Spreaker, like Paul said. Also, search us on YouTube. And please remember, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. All of those ratings and reviews they really help. Thank you. They sure do, James. And if you want to send us a listener question, we'll do another one of those. Uh, feel free to do so. We've gotten a couple good ones since our last listener questions episode, which was episode 40-something. I can't even keep track anymore. And we'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Browntree for the intros and outros of our program. And James, I'm very, very excited to pick this up next week for part two of Under Great White Northern Lights. And until then, I will be finding a Canadian province to look for a home within. And I will be finding a Canadian to look for a home with. Oh, so you're going to live with a Canadian. I would think that a Canadian would be the best person to ask if I'm looking for Canadian real estate. No, goodbye. (laughs) For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Stretching out. <laughs> kind of f***ing sporting event. <laughs> Hold on. I gotta... I gotta use the restroom. I drank too much dogfish. Okay, sorry. Vogue! Somebody give me some alcohol! Hold on! James is getting up again. He's physically walked away. From the microphone, he's—I can hear him walking back. I really don't know what all of this is about. Oh, this is the last time I have a couple of beers before one of these recording sessions. Let me tell you, Jesus! Oh, good—he's brought a guitar. Santa Claus's song commences now. That is very loud. So, come on back. Wait—I don't have to tell you to come back. You haven't even gone yet. Santa, does uh, when you taste cilantro, does it taste like soap in your mouth, or do you enjoy the taste? Yeah, Paul, is there something we should stop doing? Uh, no. Is there something we should start doing? No. <laughs> Being funny? Uh, is, is there something we should start smelling? No. Is there... Is there... Uh, wait, wait for it, wait for it. Oh, my feet are asleep again. We are Canada, made up of ten provinces and three territories with capitals and all. We're here to teach you all and then some facts that go along with them. So sing along with me now, let's have a ball. Now uh, that we have only talked about positivity so far and... uh, Uh 
and how we need to watch our own negativity in our lives. Watch. And, uh, Nobody watch. <laughs> watch it. Ringo's totally swole. Um, <laughs> consequences. What's the consequence of your website sucking? Yeah. You know, sorry, there's a gnat. Didn't get him. I just clapped. Um, Jack, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the door all day. <laughs> That's fine, Meg. You can do that. The recording equipment will have to be stored elsewhere. Yeah, along with your excessive beret collection. Buying those fancy things. You should be ashamed of yourself. Jack, I love berets. The Love Beret sounds like a great show from the 70s. It sounds like a song by Nina. <laughs> 99, she's left berets. Sorry, go ahead. I was just making dumb references. Go ahead. Who is George, George Jones? Jones? James, many times my brother has asked me who George Jones is. Um, on, uh, oh, please tell me this is the same guy. Please, 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 please. Come on, facts don't fail me now. Come on, rolling dice. Yeah, damn it. Um, I'm sorry, hold on. The cats look like they're boiling alive. I've realized I've shut the door. <laughs> Should I start the rice now, or you got, uh, how much more you got? Yes, James, we're Disneyland elitists now. I disagree, but I respect your opinion. Couldn't hear that, but it sounded real stank. He said he disagrees with respect. No, I don't respect Paul's opinion. I respect your opinions. Oh no, he doesn't respect your opinion. He respects my opinion. I believe that. Siri, set timer twelve minutes. Okay, fifteen minutes and counting. Whatever that was, it's recorded for posterity for all time. Okay. I'm sure it wasn't scathing. We were just saying how much we hate. We should go away. Ow, oh, Charlie, Jesus! Learn how to jump. He's trying to claw his way up. Jack was quoted as saying, <laughs> We have Adrian King. We have Adrian. Do you think Canadians taste soap when they eat cilantro or are they more of avocado people? That was 49 minutes of shit. <laughs> <laughs>